0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What the fucking ears? This is Mark Marin. This is my podcast. I'm not wearing headphones. I can't hear myself right now. There's been some problems. Are you okay? Is everything, is everything okay with you? Did I do the intro right? I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind right now. I couldn't sleep. I, I'm in Canada. I'm here shooting a thing. My voice is uh, a little shaky. I got up. I just did a, a Zoom interview. You know about our big change over to Acast, and I didn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I have to shoot all day today. I shot all day yesterday. I don't know if I can tell you about what I'm doing. Maybe I can tell you a little bit about it. But relax. Let's all relax. I'm sorry. I can walk you through what's happening. I can walk you through it. Let's just relax, okay? You know, I just had the window. We we shot until like midnight last night. Okay, I'm shooting this. It's a mini series. It's a horror mini series. You know, I play this. I play an asshole, but they wanted me. They wanted my special kind of asshole. They wanted me to tap into that sort of deep well of asshole that I have inside of me. And uh, so I'm up here and I'm doing this thing. And it was it was it was a long day of shooting. And, And it started with like a five or six page scene of just yelling. And then there was a whole other scene where I had to get undressed over and over again. And it was and I'm on set. And you don't know, it's like being at a casino. You don't know what time it is. You don't know what's going on and uh, outside. So, you know, someone on set goes, you want coffee? I'm like, yeah, I'll take coffee. And I drank coffee. And then uh, I also uh, I also had a Diet Coke at some point. And, um, and then I realized like, oh my God, that was two hours ago. And now it's midnight. So I get back here to the hotel and I got to sleep because I got big scenes today. They're picking me up in 20 minutes. And uh, couldn't sleep because I'd caffeinated myself. And everybody knows that fucking feeling. Everybody has made that mistake before. But after a certain point, after a certain age, you think maybe I'm not going to make that mistake again. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe I can, you know, not do that. So there I was in my bed, two in the morning, not sleeping. And you kind of do that thing where I have to calm my mind. You can't panic. You know, there's an impulse to be like, I'm going to do some pushups. I'm going to run around. Maybe I should just masturbate again. Maybe I should watch some television. But no, I just, from the, the, from the brief six or seven months of meditating that I did, I just got into sort of, uh, I, what I usually do is I do a repetition of the serenity prayer Grant me the serenity to accept the things I can change, courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference, and just kind of get that rolling and uh, just have something, a repetition. Sometimes I'll, I'll shake my foot, you know, just keep that distraction going, just so your brain kind of jumps into that zone where it can uh, go to sleep. And uh, But, you know, I'm just pushing back the panic, following the breath, you know, not listening to the other noises in my head, trying to just let them fall to the wayside so I don't freak myself out and end up up all night. And then, you you know, then you start to do that thing where you're like, am I sleeping? Is this sleeping? Uh, Is this like something my brain just making up? Am I watching a movie? You sort of start to hallucinate with your own head because you're kind of forcing it and letting it happen because you want to jump. You kind of want to grab on to a hallucination. So you can uh, you know, get to sleep. So there was a lot of that going on. And then, I don't know, at some point it happened. So I, I think I got like five or six hours of sleep. Anyway, that's where I'm at. And I'm in Canada. I'm in Toronto, which I love. Please, please, God. May my, may my future be in Canada when things get really horrible or more horrible or more you know on fire than they are in the United States. I like the boringness, I like the earnestness. I like that everybody dresses sort of roughly the same way, seemingly from the same manufacturer up here. I just like the pace i just i 'm relaxed. Can you hear that in my voice i 'm relaxed. Did I mention Laura veers is here now she is a singer songwriter who who actually made a pretty big splash back in 2005 with her album Year of Meteors. And she's part of the group Case Lang and Veers with Nico Case and Katie Lang. She has a new album coming out next week called Found Light. I love the way she plays guitar and writes songs. And she's also was close to, uh, to Lynn Shelton and did some work in some of Lynn's movies, or on one movie. And, and it was just one of those things where Lynn loved her and, and, and they were you know, very much in touch in the you know during the pandemic in the last couple of years of Lynn's life and and I just wanted to sort of honor that and you know and I had had her record many years ago I had that record in two thousand five so you know I just uh, I knew she had this record coming out and I knew she was working on it and I knew Lynn and her were talking about it so I, I wanted to talk to her so that's going to happen that'll happen for you the new cap mugs are in that I will tell you as well there are new mugs these are really new because they're Buster and Sammy designs. And they're based on the artwork done by uh, our friend Dima, who did the old mugs with the the old crew on it, the Boomer and Monkey and LaFond and me crew. They go on sale today. It's the only time you can get them other than uh, if you're a guest on my show. These are made by Brian Jones, and you can get them starting today at noon Eastern at brianjones.com slash WTF. Uh, He's also, Brian's also going to, uh, Send 10% of his profits to the National Network of Abortion Funds. Maybe uh, more incentive to buy the mug. Though the mugs look great. They look great. Sammy and Buster mugs. They're, They're spectacular. I'm fucking losing it, man. You don't know what I went through with this machine. Did I already address that? Listen, I'll be in London these are overseas dates happening folks I'll be in London at the Bloomsbury Theater Saturday and Sunday October 22nd and 23rd tickets go on sale tomorrow July 1st at 10am local time and I'll be back in Dublin at Vicker Street Wednesday October 26th tickets also go on sale tomorrow at 10am and one more thing people in case you didn't hear the ad at the top of the show today is our last day as part of Stitcher Premium our free ad supported shows will be on Stitcher still but for the ad-free archives you'll need to sign up through ACast plus on tuesday july 5th we'll have a link in the show notes on your podcast app next tuesday as well as on wtfpod.com okay whoo man oh my god just spiraling i can't get out from under the darkness i'm eating badly you know i'm still not you know obviously none of us are sort of like i feel like my voice is shaky I just, you know, it just sort of astounds me. You know, I don't know where, you know, I've evolved a bit of empathy over time, more empathy. It's deeper. I don't know if it's from tragedy. I don't know if it's from, you know, talking to people intimately for a living. You know, I don't know if it's getting older. I don't know if it's, you know, the number of heartbreaks I've had or I've caused. I don't know if it's just sort of reckoning with, um, who I was and who I am, changing behavior. But I cannot see what is happening in America in relation to the freedom of choice as anything but an attack on women. This is really just about controlling women. It's about threatened men and religious fanatics controlling women, and it's fucking awful. It's just continues to be heartbreaking. And I don't know that there's still much language around it in terms of you know men talking about it and like i i don't know i i maybe i just my brain is different the way i hear most men talk about women it's complaining about women the, you know there is a st- a thread of comedy that you know stems probably from the beginning of people being you know aggravated that it's a, sort of some sort of riff on take my wife please off oh, my wife i mean there are there are popular comics right now doing versions of alan king jokes you know just like survived by his wife you know just this this constant tone that i become more and more sensitive to as i get more and more distance from having you know normal relationships and 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 living the life i live but it just it is sort of a full-on attack based in men being threatened by women and men being jealous of women and men being afraid that they're not going to live up to women or being made a fool of by women. They just need to shut them down. They're intricately connected to women. They came out of them. So that relationship is generally fraught in some peculiar way from day one. But this is just an all out attack, not just on the autonomy on women, but culturally it's going to. It's going to cause rape. That's what this is going to do. It's going to cause rape and death. But I guess the Christians are willing to absorb that. But that is one of the most terrifying things to me, just thinking of it empathetically, that these are going to be the repercussions of overturning Roe v. Wade, is that the incidences of rape within relationship, within marriages, and just rape in general, are going to escalate. Infant mortality is going to go up. Women dying in childbirth, or women dying to try to give themselves their own abortion, is going to go up. And it's just like it's it's pervading, you know, outside of just the political culture and environmental collapse of America and the world. This just is pervading, and it's somehow really shattered my heart in a way. And I'm look, I'm surprised by it myself. Again, I'm not really a virtue signaling kind of guy, but this is going to shift the entire dynamic and sense of well-being of women and people in the United States. It's just fucking terrible. And uh, I'm sad about it. And I'm here in Canada. And uh, for two days, I'm just not cut out for this shit anymore sometimes. I think that. Oh, my God. I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm okay. So now we're going to... Let me bring... I talked to Laura Veers. Her new album, Found Light, comes out next Friday, July 8th. You can pre-order it now wherever you buy your music. And uh, I hope this came out. I hope this this machine is... Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's 10 in the morning and I'm exhausted S- spiraling for so many different reasons. I've, I have multiple spirals going on. I am, I'm, There's a lot of plates in the air, people. But this is me talking to Laura Veers. So you live in Portland? hmm How long have you been there?
1: Uh, since 2006. I was in Seattle before that from 1997 to 2006.
0: Yeah, and then before that?
1: I went to Carleton College in Minnesota, and I grew up in Colorado.
0: Minnesota. That's nice. So where'd you play when you were here last night?
1: Gold Diggers. What is that place? It's a little bar over in Culver... Uh, wait, where is Gold Diggers? I don't know where it was. It was uh-huh. somewhere in LA.
0: And how do you draw? How... How, how many... Uh,
1: <laughs> there were 71 paid tickets.
0: 71? Yeah. That's not bad.
1: No, it wasn't bad. But yeah. I mean, I used to... Play more for three hundred people in LA. Three hundred. So maybe next time I come around, it'll be more. We didn't really promote it because I have a new album coming, and we'll be doing the touring for that next.
0: So you're just practicing. It
1: was like a one off, little on the low, down low. low getting down. back in the swing. Yeah. So we'll see. My biggest crowd is in London.
0: Really? What's the new record called? I listened to it. Found light. Like I listened to it. Like it's weird. I've had um, that album I had of yours. I had it forever. It was like uh, it was like I remember getting it as a CD, it was Year of Meteors. Okay. That was the first time I heard you.
1: Okay, that was 2005.
0: Right, and I don't know why I had it, but I kept it forever and I liked it. Thank you. And I, I'm I'm relatively familiar with the sound. I can't say I know all the words. That's okay. Of all the songs. I am not. I don't listen to words that well. Yeah. But I like the tone of your I'm voice. I'm the same, I don't you listen are?
1: to words either. I care a lot about the words when I'm writing them, but when I'm listening, I I noticed I don't really listen to the people's words.
0: Right? You're more of like a melody person?
1: Or just a vibe, yeah. Yeah,
0: I can't, like I've always been that way. Like I have to really struggle to listen to words.
1: Yeah, I do too, I don't know what, it's weird that that's true for me because I'm a songwriter and like I care so much about the words that I'm saying. The words are
0: important because that's up front with you. Yeah. The words, like what bands do you like?
1: Um I mean, lately I've been listening to a lot of instrumental music oh, well, and that, I think I may loads
0: off on the r- words. There. <laughs> I may be headed
1: that way myself as a writer like I'm really I just I'm working on abstract paintings that don't have figures. It's like for me, that's like instrumental music. They right. go together because I don't want. Necessarily to listen to things that are telling me a specific story, and I don't want to look at art that is telling me a specific thing to think. Uh-huh. So I'm moving more into abstraction in my music taste and in my visual arts taste, and I don't know why that is.
0: Do you? Are, you're a painter as well.
1: I just started painting about a year ago in my new house.
0: Really? So everything's changing.
1: Everything's changing. Always the changes uh, keep changing.
0: Yeah, I guess so. But <laughs> I, it seems like some things really aren't changing. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to like to like. Uh, kind of buy into this sort of like every day, man. It's like you're shedding your skin every five minutes or whatever the fuck it is. But uh, but some things in my brain are painfully the same.
1: I have to for, say that's for true years. for me too. There yeah. are certain things that seem to never change, but then other things are always changing. I don't I, know what the thing is that's unchanging though. Like that, are there things in yourself that you like that, that stay the same? <laughs> Hopefully there are.
0: I don't know. Are there for you? Um, I think do i I think I've well liking myself is a uh, you know was not always a thing,
1: so that changed
0: right I mean For the I'm, better I think so uh, a little more self-acceptance, and good. I think uh as I became better at doing what I do and more in control of it, and as age started to wear me down and humble me and give me some humility, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean there's a there's some peace of mind I think going on a bit. that's good, but the deeper shit. You know the shit that's shitty from when I was a kid, or however I'm wired. That stuff. is hard. That's
1: entrenched.
0: Yeah, you got that.
1: I, I'm certain that I do. I mean, I'm in therapy. I feel like a lot of things. Don't I Don't you
0: explore yourself? I
1: do, and I feel. I feel like there are things about myself that I like that are that have been there the whole time. Like what? Um, I feel. I feel very creative. I feel like I have a um, an ability to withhold judgment in my creativity for the most part, which allows of yourself? me. Yes. Oh, that's good. Just allow me to create things like with my kids. Like yeah. I watch them, children yeah. creating. For the most part, I mean, they're getting a little bit self-conscious, but they have this, their filter isn't there. Their critical filter. Right, right, right. So they can create freely and beautifully with this very free, you know, when you look at children's art, it's so free.
0: Right, and no one's saying you stink or they're not saying yeah. that to themselves.
1: Yes, and it's wildly free associative and almost yeah. surrealistic and yeah. beautiful. And, and so I feel like there is that element of myself that it's stayed there. I wouldn't say I'm wildly surrealistic and beautiful, but there are things that come through that I. it's because I'm letting them through. And And I've taught music and um, songwriting over the years to people, and I've noticed that most of the people who struggle have too harsh of a self-critic. So I would say that's something about myself that I like, is that my critic isn't too harsh in the creative moment.
0: It wasn't ever.
1: I mean, I have perfectionism in my family line, like way back. So that's something that I have to push against. Oh, really?
0: So you have generations of perfectionism. I mean, I how feel, do you identify? I that? I feel
1: that uh, certainly in, in my brother and my parents, there is that element of
0: how does that manifest? So what what's a, what what is a, a symptom of that 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 you could identify.
1: Well, an obvious example would be that when I was doing homework with my friends around the table growing up, my dad who was a physics professor would come around and look at our work and say faultless algebra, like faultless, it has to be faultless because he's a physicist. And if you get the algebra wrong, when you're working up through calculus, sure. nothing works. Yeah, no, So you it can't. has to be perfect when you're a physicist. Yeah, I get that. But also, but, I'm an but, artist. So when you're an artist, you really can't think that way.
0: But no, of course not. Well, I mean, like there, yeah, math, you can't improvise. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Unless maybe you're Einstein. Like, I, well,
0: they, but they, he landed somewhere. Yeah. And it happened to be great, but you know.
1: But he what? There is deep creativity in math. And when Is you there? get, I think so. When you get into any art, any form of thinking, like philosophy, yeah. science, or art, when you get into the depths of it, it's creative.
0: Philosophy and art are different than math.
1: But think about like uh, like um, deep physics, or yeah. you know, like that kind of like melds into
0: oh, trying, like I, but I don't philosophy. Even, I, I don't even understand how that works. Do you? Deep physics? Yeah. No,
1: I never got very like, far in but physics. But I don't even
0: know what an example of that would be.
1: I guess like the origination of the universe?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. You got to be <laughs> creative to sort of hang that on numbers. Exactly. I understand. Your visualization technique has got to be there. I just never associated that those kind of researchers were actually having a vision.
1: I would. I would...
0: I have no idea posit, how you get there. I
1: would posit that almost all of those thinkers are very creative when they're thinking at that level. I guess so, because they're making something up out of nothing. They're,
0: they're but they have to prove it. Yeah. the The, the real challenge is proving. Yes,
1: it. and they can do that.
0: I know. Whereas we can't. As so your artists. dad was a physicist.
1: Yes, he is. Still is. Yes.
0: Like a, a, an actual researcher or a teacher. He's a he's
1: a, he was a professor for thirty years. Yeah, and my mom was a school teacher, so they're, uh, wow, elementary school gifted and talented. So they're very, you know, not rule followers exactly, but they like, you know, their teachers. So discipline. they want yeah discipline, hard work, and like following the rules enough to get good grades and all of that stuff. You got always, brothers and sisters? My brother always had straight A's and I always had straight A's. And I had to follow him. Yeah. So whenever I went into a room, people were like, ooh, you're Scott Veer's sister. What you got?
0: I'm yeah, like, am yeah. I don't
1: know. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I can do this. But he you- was always like acing the SAT with no studying, went to Stanford, like just... Really? And then like doing backflips on his skis like superstar.
0: What'd that guy end up doing?
1: He is a super dad. He's a really, really amazing uncle. He's a very, very close person in my life and he is a Orca whale researcher. He saves the whales. He Seattle. saves
0: the killer whales? Yes. Are they, are, do they need saving? Yes. Oh, they're no. endangered. Oh, no. The killer whales are? Yep. Or all whales? All whales. Killer
1: whales. I, specifically, I know about the killer wha- what's whales. what's going on
0: with the killer whales?
1: Well, my dad and brother worked together to research this. My brother started a nonprofit that researches what's going on with the whales yeah, and tries right. to help them. But yeah. basically, environmental pollution, over, overfishing, and then ship noise and marine testing, uh, naval testing. So they'll like test bombs underwater and yeah. it'll like burst the whale's ear oh, my drums. God. So, you know, like just. Working on all these different levels to save the whales.
0: It's so fucking heartbreaking. I feel bad for animals. More than I do for people sometimes.
1: And they see they're so innocent. It's exactly. they don't deserve that.
0: Yeah. It's like they're just trying to just be in animals. So was the original idea what was the original idea for the life of yours?
1: Oh, well, I thought I would be a geologist because I come from a line of scientists on my dad's side
0: what's his father do what's he, the,
1: well he was a farmer in ohio but he your grandfather yes but he actually became schizophrenic late in life so that sort of like
0: that's strange it's sort it of, happens in your 20s usually yeah right? usually
1: it does but it was later in life for him really and so that became like this huge family trauma that, yeah that my dad had and his sisters had to deal with and my dad's mom yeah so that kind of I think shaped the way my dad parented us like that kind of mental illness is so uncontrollable and so unknowable that I felt, I feel he found his way in life as a scientist because it's knowable and and it's like more linear, even though he's a very creative thinker. I think there is that level of um, chaos that comes when you're a child and you have a parent with mental illness that would then like encourage him to be more like, I'm going to do something that I understand a to B,
0: yeah, it's like kids Physics. it's like children of alcoholics to protect themselves from the the not knowing mm-hmm. get a handle on that control yeah. freakishness, right?
1: yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call him that beca- right because he's a very loving, caring person, sure. but they're I think,
0: you yeah, know, I don't know why I use that word, but, but yeah. yeah, I mean, but you want to have control over your
1: life. Yeah, I mean, everyone does, sure. but when you have that kind of chaos as a yeah. child, I think you're going to look for ways to have more control.
0: How long did that guy live, the grandfather? He
1: lived to, his, I believe, his 80s. I don't remember. Maybe it was his mid-70s. Wild. But,
0: um, Are you afraid of that?
1: I was until recently because... So here's the thing.
0: <laughs> Late-stage schizophrenia. Is that a thing? <laughs>
1: well, I don't know when onset when his onset was. But yeah. I think it was like 40, but I'm, I'm not worried about schizophrenia yeah. for myself because... I but I was so like I didn't try any psychedelic drugs until recently because of that because yeah. I had read but you
0: might not come back.
1: Well, yeah, I had read that it can trigger schizophrenia and I was like that's not something I want to mess with right and but I've done a lot of therapy over many years and I've gone through a divorce and I've kind of gone through the ringer and single parent pandemic all this stuff. Yeah, and I've done a lot of research around the psilocybin therapeutic mushroom movement and like the books by Michael Pollan and you uh-huh. know the Johns Hopkins yeah. therapy treatment stuff and friends you know it's yeah. getting legalized in Oregon and it's a lot of friends have experienced the therapeutic mushroom experience and uh-huh. since i have known myself more than ever in the last couple of years i was like i'm ready to try that how was it it was great Really? Yeah, and I had a babysitter with me, like an old, old friend who has a lot of experience with mushrooms. Uh-huh. There, my children were taken care of, and um, we took a dose that like, was a moderate therapeutic dose, not like a mind melter. But the reason why I wanted to try it was really to, as a just as, as a person, experience life in a different way that, uh-huh. than you could have ever experienced it. And at this age, 48, it's like I've experienced a lot of stuff. But that was a realm that I had never... Stepped into it. Never an, a druggy. Never. No. Never. Mm-hmm. Never. Much no of weed. A, no. Not much of anything. I mean, alcohol before a show. Like, let me have a glass of wine. But it's not. That's it. It's not. I've never been uh-huh. one of those musicians that, like hard partying. Right. Hard partying. So anyway, this experience was really amazing, and and um, I'm glad that I did it. I wouldn't say that I'm going to become like one of those people who joins like the mushroom club of the world and like goes to meetings all around because there's like a deep. Community, like subculture of sure. people who are into mushrooms,
0: Microdosers or full on.
1: There's like everybody now.
0: Full spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I haven't done anything in many years, but I've certainly done a few, uh, a few solid mushroom trips. Mm-hmm. Full on brain melters.
1: Were those? Were those like? Because the way that we were doing it was with the headphones on and like the eye masks. So it's very much like you're lying down in oh. your own interior world.
0: No, for me it was like we got to get outside. Yeah. Me and, like, a few other guys, or me and my buddy Lance, just walk it out. I always trip during the day, and mm-hmm. a nice day was better.
1: Yeah, we did that, and so we, we split it up, like, mm-hmm. half headphones, eye mask, which was a very different experience than outside. What'd
0: you get? I, I've I've tripped with uh, with my eyes closed.
1: Yeah. I I, had, I didn't have a ton of visuals, because no. I don't think I had quite a high enough dosage, but I had a lot of, um, like, deep feelings around, like... The stuff I was hoping to feel, which is like the, which I had read about, but it's, it's right. one thing to read about. And it's another thing to feel it. And then it's also a hard thing to talk about. But universal love, love across generations, sure. love of my grandfather oh, yeah. who had the schizophrenia and yeah. who was ostracized from the family. Um, oh,
0: my yeah. children,
1: you yeah. know, like imagining my passing and then the love Ooh. for my children staying alive uh-huh. through generations. And, you know, like even the love of. Of nature was there with the i was seeing a lot of um like passages of color and i was thinking about the the mushroom mycelium web network underneath the ground in the northwest i mean Uh those mushrooms grow everywhere yeah nourishing the trees and and it was just a very and then it actually one of the most profound things that i felt about that came through that experience was I, you know, I had a very difficult divorce and from my producer who was my um, music partner for 20 years and also the father of my kids and yeah. we had a studio and we had this deep life together that broke apart two and a half years ago. And I had basically cut him out of my life 100% except yeah. for like texts like, what time are you getting the kids? Right. And I realized like, you know, through that mushroom experience, it, it helped me realize like not all that time was a waste. He's not a terrible person. We just we're we're not we're not together anymore, and that's gonna that's okay. And you need to let him in a little bit so that um, the kids don't feel so odd about right. there being no communication here. Yeah. And so, because I come from a background of stable parents, like a happy very normal family quote yeah. unquote and my brother's the same yeah and so i thought that that was going to be my life and it's not my life and so i need to figure out how to be a good parent to these children who have parents who are not together and that was the biggest takeaway that i had from the mushroom experience which was which meant i texted him on his 50th birthday a really nice birthday text yeah for me that was like a something that probably would have taken quite a few more years to get to honestly if i so hadn't you think the,
0: the mushrooms uh, softened you yeah and they
1: accelerated see, my healing process.
0: Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Or they just made you, like, either, yeah, they, it's the same as, like, realizing that, you know, what am I doing? Like, it's like whether it's healing or just sort of like, fuck it. You know, I got to, you know, just let this be. Yeah. Right? hmm Huh. I wonder what let that go. You know, it's, it's, it's weird what you hold on to in resentment or whatever and judgment. And, you know, like, it, it's very hard to... Once you start to realize, like, well, shit, this is not a lot of time. We're here. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So that was good. So you got connected to the uh, worldwide organic and cosmic web. It, I and did. You went,
1: uh, <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I was so glad that I did that. And I, like I said, got I the think big
0: frequency. It, you got in the big frequency. It
1: might be once a year or sure. something like that. Sure. Yeah.
0: So, what was the plan before you started music, though?
1: Geology degree. I was also studying Chinese. So I was thinking. Chinese. Yeah, Mandarin. Huh. In college, I went to China for six months. Several times, I went there and. I thought, oh, I'm going to be like either a diplomat to China or I'm going to be a geologist. And I did actually go over to China and did a geology project.
0: How's your Mandarin now? It's terrible. Terrible. But it was solid? It was good. Yeah? In fact,
1: I was going through an old journal and I had been writing in Chinese. And I couldn't read it.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So... Do you ever feel like picking that up again?
1: Not really. I mean, there's a chance. I would love to go back. I did go back for- Might be the
0: smart thing to do. Might be the future. (laughs) Yeah. You might need it. Yeah.
1: I did go for a one-off show in Shanghai like five years ago, and I went with a friend who also speaks Chinese Uh a little bit. Yeah. And we we made our way. Like It started to come back.
0: Well, that's sort of like math, studying Chinese. It is. So that was your physics. Yes. You took up the family tradition, only you did it with language. Yeah. Tricky. Isn't it tricky?
1: It's very tricky, but it's also very musical. Oh, yeah? It has a tonal language. Yeah. So it's like, ma, 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 ma. Like, Uh, all those mean different things. Really? Horse, mother, swear word, and, like, I can't remember the other one.
0: What swear word?
1: I think, I don't know, I can't remember. (laughs) You're quizzing me on something that I don't remember at all.
0: Well, you just said swear word. I was hoping you weren't protecting me from some horrible word that I might not know.
1: (laughs) We can look it up.
0: (laughs) It's okay. You just know it's a bad word.
1: Yeah, I think it might, yeah. Okay. It might just, yeah, I don't remember if it's a specific swear word or if it just means swear word.
0: But... So you thought geologist or diplomat? So yep. you're thinking. That... Academia. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. So it was, that was the world. Yeah. And then how long have you been playing guitar for?
1: I started when I was 18. My brother showed me some chords. He was. On the
0: guitar you have?
1: yes. Yeah, that's, that's the, the family, family guitar. guitar. I brought in my 60s Goya. I think it's 60s, but it could be older. My dad got it in a thrift shop in Chicago in the 60s when he was a grad student at IIT. In and the he, he can play too? He can, yeah. And so he would play that Goya nylon string guitar around the house just for fun. Like he nylon had a very string. casual hmm. relationship with music. Yeah. And then my brother played it and played in bands in high school. In my town, I mean, there a was- a nylon
0: string he played in bands? He,
1: he actually had an electric guitar. Yeah. But- um in my town, there was no real live music scene, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And also there were certainly no girls in bands. And so I didn't really think I could do that till I got to college. And I was like, wait, I, I can totally, do, I can totally do this. I can play three chords and be in a punk band. So yeah. I started a all women's punk band in college In college, called Rare. Uh-huh. And it was like, we wore the jumpsuits, like the mechanics outfits and uh-huh. just like, rocked out really hard. The lead singer was really a true rock star. And so.
0: Where, where is that person now? She
1: lives off the grid in a like trailer in the mountains of rural Washington, like growing flowers. Okay. She's totally not punk rock. I mean, punk rock in a way. It's pretty punk rock. But like not on the stage.
0: <laughs> and you're still in touch with her.
1: Yeah, I just saw her last week.
0: Well, that's nice. Yeah. She turned, And she has a nice wife with the Yeah, trailer, she has a like, really,
1: really nice life with a very nice man.
0: Well, that sounds nice. It's great. It's an alternative lifestyle. It is, yeah. How off the grid? They have electricity and stuff. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no it's, electricity? it's cold. Wow. In that
1: trailer. Yeah.
0: No fireplace?
1: I don't know how they heat it. Wow. That's a great question. She just told me it was cold.
0: Uh-huh. Wow. I guess that's a big <laughs> choice. A lifestyle choice. Yeah. So you played electric guitar that? Yeah. Ah, so I've it?
1: migrated back and forth, like electric, loud rock, full band still, to like solo.
0: full band stuff on most of your records. There that? is.
1: Yeah, there is. We there's always, there's both. There's like a loud full band thing on most records. And then there's a soft finger picking guitar thing too.
0: So where'd you learn how to finger pick? I can't like, I can't seem to wrap my brain around it well. I, I can, it takes a lot of practice.
1: Yeah, it does. I went deep into that in my early twenties in Seattle when like I was Like Travis there. picking? Yeah. Huh. And I had a great teacher who taught me a bunch of country blues stuff, like Mans Lipscomb, Elizabeth yeah, Cotton, Lipscomb, yeah. Mississippi yeah, John Heard, all those things yeah, like yeah. helped me separate. Because if you separate your right hand from your left, you can get like all of these upbeats and counterpoint and like syncopation and just like, t- like so many instruments happening with two hands, you know.
0: I, I, maybe I should take lessons.
1: I think you should. Actually, I have a great teacher who I... Learned from John Miller is his name. He lives in Bellingham, Washington, and I think he teaches on Zoom.
0: Really? Yeah. And he's still around. He's amazing for the finger picking. Yes. Because I mean, I can like I can like it's it's there. I've been playing guitar a long time, but I can't I can't free myself.
1: It's so freeing to learn how to do that. I highly recommend it.
0: Like I can't get I can't seem to get. The two hands doing separate things.
1: It's so wonderful and liberating when you do that because then you, like I said, you're playing so many different instruments at once.
0: I know, but it must be one moment like just after practicing, practicing, all of a sudden you're like, it's
1: happening. It happens and it flows and it's effortless after a long time of practice. Long and time. then that like completely informed the way that I write guitar yeah, music. So, so. Uh, just it just like when when I, whenever I learn someone's stuff like in depth, like an Elliott Smith song or something, yeah. That whatever it is, like a cool chord change or some new rhythm or like a lyrical thing or just a way that he sings, it'll it'll migrate into a song somehow. Whether yeah, some aspect of the songs that I'm learning in depth will creep into my songwriting, and certainly that happened in a very overt way with the finger stick, finger style like syncopation, just little things that they do, uh, yeah it was it was actually, I'm so grateful for that time with that teacher because it set the stage for me to be a great guitar player. And like I really have like a real facility with intricate finger style guitar, which is just so it's so wonderful to play that way. I love the feeling of it, and then also it gives me the ability to go and like do solo shows and not worry about boring the audience because I yeah. don't have much going on right. It's like there's a lot going on with the guitar playing. Well,
0: that's exciting. How old is this guy?
1: Um, he was in his, I would say, 40s when I was taking lessons in my 20s, so I would guess he's in his 60s now.
0: Oh, man, I might take you up on that. I need to do something. He's I play great. all the time. Yeah. He... But it's one of those things where I, I think I could find something online mm-hmm. that could show me, like something showed me basic Travis picking, but I still can't get them doing different things.
1: Yeah, it's really fun. And like that's the fun thing about learning an instrument and just being a lifelong learner is you can just keep... Getting better, and then that's going to change. Do you write also songs? Right. It'll change the way you write. Right. If you're writing still. Do you write songs?
0: Not really. Okay. I, I fuck around and do a lot of different rhythms. Yeah. Uh, at the end of each podcast, mm-hmm. I kind of play with that stuff. And I've been s- playing and singing in public with a couple of guys. Mm-hmm. But I wrote one song. I wrote a song after Lynn died, but then I, d- I uh, didn't do another
1: one. Mm-hmm.
0: There's too much vulnerability to it to me. Yeah, it's for me. very vulnerable. And everything I do, like comedy or whatever, I'm very... Uh, kind of everything's pretty close to, uh, I, you know, it, it's pretty honest. So like, I don't know how much of that I can do. It seems like a lot of songwriters can hide, uh, somehow mm-hmm. by either writing from a point of view that is not theirs, mm-hmm. creating characters or just doing poetry that is cryptic enough to not, uh, implicate them mm-hmm. emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> Right?
1: I, I wanted to really not do that on my new album.
0: I, I think you're pretty honest. I, I don't know w- anymore after talking to enough songwriters where I think that I, I hear them representing themselves and they're like, no, that's not me. and It's annoying. Yeah. But this one seems like it's kind of from you.
1: Oh, it certainly is more than any of the other ones because I would say because I I had a more agency in terms of choosing which songs to record and then also... More agency and like ownership over how we were going to record them live, with my friend Shazada Smiley from New York, who came out to Portland, and to play. produce. Yeah, well, we co-produced it, okay. and that was the first time I ever like. So you're took out from the reins under of, the
0: thumb of uh, your ex-husband. Yeah,
1: I mean, not that he had me under his thumb, not, but not. you know, yeah, it just yeah. the way that our dynamic was. under the was, fingers on
0: the board, maybe. He just
1: always made those decisions, mm. and I didn't really care. And then at this stage, I was like, actually. I want to care. I want to care about, like, how are we going to play this? Is it going to be live or to a click? And then are we going to... Who's going to be on it? Like, what what is the message that I'm trying to send, like, sonically? Is it very sparse? Or, you know, each song asks for a different treatment. And this was the first time I was really asking myself, like, what do I want this music to sound like?
0: Well, what were you asking before when it started, when you first started recording? Because, like, it seemed like there was a period there where, like, you got somewhere in the middle a few of those records were pretty big right i mean
1: none such put them out and but then like after they dropped me my next album Oh, it's old there. So, I mean, July Flame, I think, was the top seller, which was 2010, but uh-huh. none of my records have been that successful, which is partly why I think I'm still going. Sometimes I feel like success, too much success too quickly can mess with people's heads. Sure. But so I've avoid had, it. Try I've had like it. a very mild amount for so long <laughs> that I've felt like I could maintain my sanity and like yeah. not not get swept away by anything. Lucky
0: you're not, you didn't fly down here in a private jet. That would be, <laughs> be such a different person. It,
1: I would. Yeah.
0: But when did you, so how old were you when you did the first record?
1: Uh, well, I did one with a friend just quickly in his studio in um, on Orcas Island in 1999. So I was 20, I was born in 73, so 23. Yeah. Um,
0: and those are all 22. original songs?
1: Yes, and really bad, terrible music.
0: Can you listen to it?
1: No. <laughs> I'll never reprint that I made a thousand copies and that's it
0: yeah because when I was like doing some research you can't find it so good job yeah it sucks it's it's gone (laughs) it's erased from the memory the collective memory and then what happens?
1: Then I met Tucker, who was my ex, yeah. and he's a wonderful record producer. And we had a lot of fun in the early years, and then our relationship <laughs> fell apart.
0: Well, what's the, what, what was, where'd that guy come from? Uh, so he, he was he in Seattle. Show? Okay.
1: And I mean, he he's made records for, like, we kind of became bigger shots together over the years. Like, neither one of us is a very big shot, but he does do records with, like, December's My Morning Jacket, like... um yeah, you know Bill Frisell. People in the indie rock world, the folk world, and the j- jazz world. He's doing that. What's his name? Tucker Martin.
0: Oh, so now, like I know that you were friends with Lynn. When did you meet Lynn?
1: Lynn was in that Seattle scene, um, right? In two thousand two or three, I met her because I provided soundtrack music
0: for so her, her movie. Movies. Which movie? We was go it? way back. Yeah, yeah, and
1: she's a lovely person. And we were that's
0: like the first movie, right? Yep. That, yeah, yep.
1: And she's a wonderful, she was such a wonderful person. And we had been in touch right before her death. Yeah. Uh, bonding around divorce and like her remember, her yeah. excitement about being with you and me being like dating. I was on a dating rampage at that yeah. s- stage. How'd that pan out? <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot about online dating. Because I had been with one guy and then Tucker for that whole two guys monogamous 20 for 24 years.
0: 24 years. So then I was like- Two guys.
1: Yeah. I uh-huh. was like, oh- Online dating, okay. What's that? I'm like, okay, I know all about it. I could write a book.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Or why don't you write some songs?
1: I did. They're on this new album.
0: What did, do you mention it by name?
1: I say, um, I met a Brazilian who taught me to oh, dance. Yeah, 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 yeah. A Turkish man who, who I saw that I was trying to figure that this out. And that. That's that online dating? Or not. Those, those are real. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, another one, there's this song called Naked Hymn about, like, just this basically casual sex. But, oh, and then there's another casual sex reference. So, yes, that definitely all got into the album. Yeah. But it was part of you know you probably have met other people who do this like they get divorced at the end of your marriage you're probably not having a lot of sex because you're like not getting along yeah so then when you get divorced you're like oh i can have sex again what's out there you know like oh wow with online dating so easy it's so easy (laughs) and then after a while anyone
0: can get laid i know
1: (laughs) i was like after a while i was like this is this is just too easy or slash empty and so empty. I stopped, yeah, and then the pandemic made it obviously more complex. It's too. sad
0: when you hit the empty world with the sex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but did. I did, especially if it happens in the middle. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So that that like, but but I did feel that that kind of bender I went on was really important for me, and and I've talked with many people who have done the same thing, where they're just like, yeah, I'm just out in the world again, I'm yeah. alive, you yeah, know, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's when you were talking because I remember Liz was or Lynn was talking to you, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, I know that you guys were, you, you guys went back, and that you know, I, I I remember that she mentioned that you were going through it, and mm-hmm. then, you know, you were excited.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm not excited about it anymore.
0: <laughs> War <Wore laughs> off, <laughs> tired you out. Yeah.
1: What else is there? Mm-hmm. Mushrooms. Yeah. that's
0: cool. Yeah, you're you're checking all the boxes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, don't know. I went surfing today. You did? That's checking a box. you never so, done it? I had done it twice in my life, and I got up on the board like nine times today. It was so fun. It was very addictive. I could totally see getting it addicted to surfing.
0: Yeah, because when you look at it from the outside, you're like, what are they doing? Those, have those, you not done it? No. But oh, like, it's like those waves aren't even that big. But then when you see them get up on it, you're like, oh, that's it.
1: You've got to try
0: it. Okay.
1: Fingerstyle guitar and surfing is in your future.
0: That's that's, a, that's my big goal. <laughs> yeah. All right. Those seem reasonable. Yeah. I think I could do both of those.
1: I think they're really, really within your grasp.
0: What do you use?
1: It was a rental place on Venice Beach. Oh, that's nice. Very easy. You can do it.
0: So, tell me about this songwriting process. So, like, obviously, you just said that in the the this new record is more personal. But, like, how? Who are you modeling yourself after? How does that work? Because I like I don't know what the hell. Like, I wrote that song, but I I don't know what good songwriting is. (laughs) I I mean, I guess I do. But, like, I mean, what is the trick to it? How do you start? Do you start with a melody? Do you start with the chords? Or do you start with words?
1: um, Usually, my trick is just to start with something I already have. So, What
0: what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) In relation to what I just asked you.
1: Like... (laughs) I always have something lying around that I haven't used yet, so like
0: a oh like a melody y- or words, y- yes. a word, yes,
1: either a phrase, yeah, a
0: line exactly
1: a line, uh an idea from like a guitar part from someone else's song that yeah. I'm like I've got to try that rhythm, yeah, or a new tuning,
0: oh, okay, new tuning, or, what kind of tunings do you use?
1: I really don't t- tune a whole lot, but like my mainstay alternate tuning is d a d f sharp b e. It's only ch- changing the E to a D, drop D, and yeah. then the G goes down to an F sharp. That's actually a very beautiful voicing that I've gotten a lot of cool stuff. Do you have to change
0: of. the fingers?
1: Your fingering all changes when you change the tuning. Uh. So, but it's about your ear. Like, I, I love to just get new voicings, and so that one's helpful, and then for people who are trying to try alternate tunings that aren't, like, really complex, I would suggest, these are ones that I put on my new yeah. record, the B to C is really nice, adds this new, very new feeling, just changing that half step, B up to C, and then also from standard, bringing the G to the A also is a beautiful way to get new voicings. And basically that, that's because I'm a lazy guitar player. Like I could play those chord voicings, yeah, but I don't want to. I want to just have this left hand be really easy, like easy m- motions, and I don't want to have to do any like, fancy footwork with my left hand. Right. So these alternate tunings allow like a very facile, like easy playing um, with new voicings. So anyway, I I would just like have one small thing that I'm like, I need to try to write something with that tuning today because I don't know, just I want to try that tuning. So then I'll start messing around and then something will come out. And and, like the next, I always record, I usually write a full song in a sitting, like an hour or less. And then... I will come back the next day and listen. If I feel something, usually I'm not into it, but I'll be like, that guitar part is awesome. You have to keep that. And just find some new words for it. Vice versa. Those lyrics are great, but this music sucks. It's totally boring. Let's find some better music for these words. And that's that's how I always start with something that I already have. Right. And I'm never just... Hardly ever am I like right now. If I sat down to write, I would be starting from a blank white page because I'm not in a writing phase. But once I'm in a writing phase, it's like I'm on this wheel that's turning, and each day I go back. I'm like, oh, well, you. It's not overwhelming and scary because there's no blank page.
0: Right, cause there's something to start with. And so that you find that it works in like once you're in that groove, you're going to write out like an album's worth of stuff.
1: I usually write 100 to 200 songs per album cycle. And what? Yeah. I know, and and for this one, I was like, "This is so fucking stupid. I need to stop." So I only wrote about eighty. But the thing is, it's not. It's so not. So you
0: always. No wonder you always have shit hanging laying around. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean,
1: I have an excessive amount of stuff that's never been used. But the thing is, I toss it for a reason. Like it's really not good. And, yeah. and so, but the thing is, with eighty songs, it's probably more like thirty because. Each one is like, I will write sometimes 14, it sounds very neurotic, and I guess it is, but like 14 versions of one song till I get to the one that actually makes the album. Mm. Sometimes I write one and I'm done. I'm like, that's great. I don't need to fuck with that. And then most of the time I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And then by the end, I have this honestly overwhelming amount of material. So right. I tried to not do that this time, right. but I still got up to 80.
0: So... In terms of the evolution of the songwriting, so when you're writing, to begin with, the first record that you threw in the garbage, that's that. Yeah. And then the second record, you're working, the first record you didn't do with the husband.
1: Yep, right. With Tucker, he recorded the one from 2001, the second one, which which I love.
0: And that's when you met him? Yes. And that's when it started.
1: Then then our romance started years later. Years later? But we had a friendship for many years, like a working relationship.
0: So- Okay, so it was just a kind of a couple of musicians working together. He respected your shit, you liked what he did, and yep. he made records. Yep. So, when it becomes, which album does it become a romance on?
1: Um, Saltbreakers.
0: You know, that's th- the woman who I have been seeing a bit um, is a uh, big fan of that record.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Like I mentioned, I was going to interview you, She's like, oh my God, I love that album, Saltbreakers. I was into that all the oh, time. Oh,
1: that's nice. Yeah. yeah. And congratulations on dating someone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay it's it's possible
1: it's possible to okay. keep going life keeps going right?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah sure it does i mean it definitely does you know that whole that thing her dying was devastating and you don't know i don't know that any of anybody knew how to deal with it i mean somebody like that dying you don't you don't have answers to these questions why mm-hmm. that happens mm-hmm. someone's so uh alive and engaged and uh s- spreading goodwill and love around
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know just gets leveled in a week. It's brutal. Yeah. Tragedy happens. Mm hmm. But yeah, I mean, in terms of trauma in similar ways to a divorce, that, you know, you can't really, you know, pull yourself together really. You can't you can't force yourself out of that sense of trauma. Yeah. For as however long it's gonna take. Yep.
1: It takes how long it takes and it's not linear.
0: No, nothing's wrong here. It's just it, it's an it's a a frequency you live with. Yeah. For the rest of it.
1: Yeah. And I and but I do think that like one of the blessings of being an artist is we can process our trauma through creativity and some people just don't have that. They don't have that outlet. And for me I think one of the reasons I made my new album is because Well, I need to prove to myself I could do this independently because I'd become very psychologically dependent on him. But Mm. also, I wanted to share this story and really talk about it, this experience of divorce with, and it's extra painful with kids, I think, because you've got that, you know, anyway, it's obviously obvious why that's painful, but I was like, I want to try to get into the real feelings here that are complex. It's not just like everything sucks or everything's amazing. It's like very, very nuanced stuff that you feel going through something like that. And I wanted to write about it. So A, to make myself feel better, probably in the moment of writing it, because I definitely feel like writing is therapy in a way. Sometimes it's painful, but and B, to share it because someone out there is going to relate. And I think that it's important for us to be vulnerable as artists and put our work out there so that we can share and feel connected to others and, and you know, provide them with, with a, a voice for their experience. And then the person that's writing their novel is giving me validation and I, I feel seen by their book. And then that painter right. makes a beautiful painting that moves me and then I make a song and then or a painting. You know, it's like all yeah. going around influencing. Seeing each other and making life more meaningful and like connected—that uh,
0: that kind of a rhizome the, <laughs> mushroom yeah, spreading structure absolutely. again. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel that. I, I I just feel that you, you know because like nothing that I do is that coded. You, you know that when I uh, talk about feelings or experience of grief or try to create comedy uh, out of that experience. Um. That adds a certain element of of relief for other people, mm-hmm.
1: and, and also like and for you too. Do you get sure, relief? Yeah,
0: sure. But like, but there it becomes tricky though, especially when you're just talking yeah. to you know to respect you. You have to sort of balance, you know, your feelings with respecting the situation. Do you know like uh, the thing I learned about you know grief is that yeah I was getting a lot of attention because. We were publicly a couple mm-hmm. for I don't know it wasn't that long maybe a year, a year or so yeah. yeah and so you know there was a lot of attention coming at me because of her passing and and I I just reacted or you know I I engaged uh, with certain interviews or whatever um, that when I could and and then like a relative of hers maybe a cousin on on someone's side maybe not even a, like a, a blood cousin. Was like, you know, you should tone that down because, you know, there's a lot of family that is not being spoken for here. And, you know, she's got this family and and, you know, we're trying to process this, too. And I I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even a matter of me processing it. I just wanted to honor her her uh, life. Yeah. But what
1: were they suggesting you tone down?
0: Well, just, you know, don't do so much press. Uh huh. And I think it was correct. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I was stubborn at first. I'm like, well, my feelings are, right. but you know, mm-hmm. the truth is, is like, whatever I was grieving, you know, was really more a, a possibility. And there were people like yourself that you know, I think I wrote that to you in the email that you know, had these lo- long relationships—husbands, children, parents, cousins, friends—years and years and years, you know, lifetimes. Uh, you know, who who deserve privacy and respect. You know, and I, and I didn't even know any of them, really. Mm-hmm. So I had to put that into perspective. And then to really realize that I was, you know, I'm grieving a loss that was pretty spectacularly big and an important person in my life. But we didn't, it didn't, our future didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So that, we, you know, that was what is the most difficult thing for me is that w- you're poised to, you know, sort of like, okay, I've got, we're going to do this now and then that's you know gone. So it's different. Yeah. Grieving possibilities and grieving uh, l- loss of a long-term relationship I think is different. Mhm. It's it's all grief but it's like you know it's all kind of leveling. So wrestling with that shit.
1: And our, do you wrestle with that in your comedy?
0: Yeah, a bit. Yeah. I wrestle with grief. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? Cuz that's really the language what you're talking about is that People feeling less alone seems to be the the important thing. Yes, like I get a lot of mail about that, emails about that for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. It's not always grief. Sometimes it's eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Sometimes whatever I talk about, yeah, psychological problems, whatever. Um, But that people like feel seen, and Mm -hmm. and that's important. Mm -hmm. That they don't get lost in themselves or do something drastic. Yep. Uh, But then, like you know, but but I, I feel that. But it's also heavy, you know, and mm-hmm. it's hard to, you know. There's some part of me that wants to have a message for everybody,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, but these are very specific messages for people that are willing to, to let them in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what that message for everybody business is. I think that's ego. As an artist, I mean, you want a bigger reach, do you?
1: I mean, here I am talking on your podcast. Yeah, I asked to come on it. I know so.
0: Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> so, part of me is like, but I mean, like, you I'm know,
1: the, the, I, I have friends who've been very famous and had like all kinds of problems that came with that. So I don't think like fame and notoriety are necessarily like a ticket to a happy life.
0: No. Maybe a ticket to a reasonable living. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want to find the reasonable living.
1: That part helps if level. you want to be an artist because being strapped for money and trying to be an artist is, is difficult.
0: Yeah. How have you dealt with it?
1: Well, I've had a pretty steady income for a long time from my passive income from songwriting. Yeah. So that's really uh, that's from other a,
0: people doing your songs.
1: No, just my stuff. Just being yeah. out there, and I have ownership of all my own music. Yeah. So like,
0: oh really? I so that it happens. All. Yeah. Just from from airplay or how does yeah. it work?
1: Yeah, airplay and radio and Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube. I mean, YouTube is terrible, but. Um sinks oh, yeah. and yeah. record sales, it all adds up because now this is my thirteenth album. Yeah. So it's just building on itself.
0: Right. So which songs out there are like do you find generate the most income? I mean they do you shift have hits
1: they shift around. Your- I mean, July Flame is a song that has the probably the most income over time, but yeah. um They just shift around. Like, you can look on your BMG chart and see, like, which one is. uh, And I don't know. I don't track that well because my stuff gets played all around the world. I don't know, like, why a Uh certain song is getting more money that time, that uh, album, that, like, payment cycle than another one. But they all sort of, like, work like, you know, they're like little workers out there for me. And that's That's something I feel so grateful for because I'm a single mom with a pretty heavy parenting time. And. I want to be able to pick them up from school. I want to be like a very engaged parent. And if I were working like all the time, also the other thing that's nice about being a parent and an artist is like children, I noticed like when I don't have them, sometimes like when my ex has them, I'll become like obsessed with like a painting, you know, just like nonstop thinking about this one painting and like- That you're
0: painting. Yes,
1: because I've started doing like bigger abstract canvases and I, will get obsessive about art or creation or like whether I'm like sometimes in the last few years I've been starting to conceptualize videos for music videos for my own videos. And I'll just get so obsessive that if I didn't have the kids, I feel like I might just become one of those like people that runs into the ocean with like weights on my feet and just...
0: (laughs) like
1: drowns myself because um (laughs) because
0: you just blew your brain over a painting yes yeah you just got yes got locked into a spiral
1: you got to get the kid from school at three and go to soccer practice that's good
0: i'm glad that the kids are stifling (laughs) your more suicidal impulses thank you yes i am too (laughs) but it's not quite suicidal because it's just frustration with not being able to unlock a, a loop of obsession yes yeah, yeah. Yes. I don't know. I I get that sometimes, but like as soon as I manifest it, it seems to dissipate. Mm. You know, if I get obsessed, like a, recently it was like getting the same hat that Keith Richards was wearing on the last tour, and once I got it, I was like, all right, moving what? on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's good. But I get obsessed with bits. I get obsessed with getting a joke right. I get obsessed yeah. with, you know, this this balance of of what I do creatively. Like, well, that I it's I think it's interesting that that where we started this was that the romance began at salt mm-hmm. so can you see in the work you know outside of the the partnership you had you know as in production and and musically can you see lyrically uh, uh an evolution through love and into whatever happened in this last record
1: yes i mean i can see Love songs for him, mm. and then sad songs about my ex and ditching my other ex, Pete, and then Pete. and then like also as time went on, my reaching for Tucker in this way that I felt he was always like receding into the shadows, and you can hear that on a lot of the songs.
0: Oh, that you were losing him, yeah, emotionally, mm-hmm. and that was true. Yep, but you didn't know it, or you did. The
1: songs were very clear, but I don't. I it's odd to me that I couldn't see it. But it's so strange to even say this. Like, how could the songs know, and I didn't know. But I think that's art. I, I was so I was so dedicated to keeping our family together and just keeping all the balls in the air. And when you have young children, it's so your head's just down in the weeds.
0: Yeah. And so it was sure.
1: It, for me, it was just like a feat to even get an album done.
0: And huh. But like, but it seems like then, like I'm. I don't. I'm not trying to pressure you. But but it seems like. Like this almost happened simultaneously that the the, the, the the tension happened simultaneously within a couple of years of the kids, right? Mm-hmm. So do you feel like the kids were like, although it turned out well, an attempt to hold it together?
1: I was one of those women who was like biologically insane about having kids. I uh-huh. just, when I turned 31 or two, I was like, I have to have children right now. And like, if you right. don't want to have kids with me, we're done. I'm and he's go like, find okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so he's like, okay, okay, let's do it. And so mm. we did. But you know, I wouldn't want them to feel that they broke us up because they certainly didn't. But right. definitely, children bring stress to the situation. Sure. And so I was doing my best to keep it all like Elastic Girl. My sister, yeah. she's like, you were Elastic Girl. You know, like yeah. with the long arms trying to hold it all together, but yeah. it just wasn't going to hold. Right. And, and it was only until. Very recently, that well, like we broke up a year and a half, two and a half years ago. So, but like a year before that, I was like, "This is really not working."
0: And that was like, what, were you in the middle of like the lookout?
1: Y- yes. There's some songs on there that that are hinting at this crumbling, and then the next one really gets at it. My, My echo? echo, yeah, yeah. So it's
0: and all that, on and there.
1: so now I'm just so curious. And he like, that one. He did, and we were in counseling, and like we were trying to get his new studio off the ground it was like very very difficult financially and all this stress and then the kids and i and like that album was just just bizarre to me the whole thing but yeah at this stage my path is very unclear to me like Right now? Yeah, I just, I was like, I have to make another. First of all, I was like, I don't think I want to do music anymore because that's just so painful for me, the whole thing. I don't even want to be a musician anymore after we broke up. Yeah. And then after a while, after a year, I was like, no, that's stupid. You always wanted to be a writer and a songwriter, and you always were. So why don't you do one more at least? Yeah. Because you have to. Your yeah. future self will hate you if you don't. Right. And so, and the idea of sharing with like specifically single moms appealed to me. And so I did, uh, but it took a long time and a lot of like back and forth and r- try out recording over here and then get this guy, but he can't come due to COVID and then get the other guy. And anyway, we made the record. I'm really proud of it, but I don't know if I'll make another record. I mean, does does an artist ever know if they're going to make another record? I,
0: I called my my tour right now is called "This May Be the Last Time."
1: There you go. That's the
0: name of my tour.
1: Is that like genuinely from your heart? Like you yeah, every know? time. Yeah.
0: Like because I got to pull like, a an fucking hour and a half out of the air. Yeah. Like you do. Yeah. But like you know, and then like tour it. Yeah. You know, and that comes from like workshopping two, three hours of shit, and hopefully, like, I need incentive in the form of either a tour or a special. Or, you you know, I mean, during COVID, you know, even before Lynn died, you know, I was sort of like, you know, like maybe I didn't miss comedy. And I was sort of like, maybe I'm better. Maybe I'm all better. That's why it it, it was sad that it became a clinical thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I'm fixed. I didn't need to go drag people through my problems. Yeah, uh, yeah. uh, But as soon as other people started doing it again, I was like, fuck, game on. So, yeah,
1: and then you had to pull it out of the air again. The next yeah, but hour that's and the biggest.
0: Half. Well, that's the biggest fear is like, what if I got in me? You know, because I had to start clean when we were able to start working again. But I guess what got me through it in the same way like you do is like I've got a couple of bits that weren't on my last special that didn't get a lot of play. So like, so there's like a couple of solid pieces that I can at least know I have, and then I just what I do is I start booking out small theaters like here like a black mm-hmm. box theater mm-hmm. and i'll do a residency for a month and just improvise until okay because I, I don't write things and down that. like that someone's
1: filming it or recording it kind of yeah. or
0: i just go through it it's more of an oral tradition mm-hmm. through repetition uh see what sticks yeah and sometimes i lose things but sometimes i don't now i'm kind of operating at a a fairly you know good hour and a half maybe hour and fifteen without the PTSD COVID stuff, mm-hmm. which is eventually, I think, we'll have a shelf life. I don't know; depends mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah, um, and some things are are continuing to expand a bit, but you know, that's that's it. And I, but I, and I've also been going out on my own without an opener. Um, I, mm-hmm. That's sort of the the next phase. Is sort of like they're here to see me, and you know, I, I don't need a buffer if I have the the material. So just you know, pull it together and do it.
1: Yeah, but you aren't sure if you'll do it again.
0: No, I'm never sure. Uh, I'm not. I'm never sure. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I, I feel like I'm supposed to be stopping.
1: And what but is it, telling you that?
0: It's Age, and like. But you is know, that
1: just ageism or something? Like no,
0: it's like I don't really know how to enjoy myself. So I'd like to uh, figure that out. And I don't know if I need to stop working to do that because. But I'm so engaged. Like I'm talking to you. I did another interview today. I do two of these a week. I'm performing comedy every night. Really, uh, if I'm around, you know. Do you know, enjoy that, though? It's what I do. But do you enjoy it? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, like, it, I enjoy it if, like, if I have a purpose. And right now, it's, it, the purpose seems to be like, why do you guys think you deserve comedy? <laughs> Look at what we're going through. Yeah. What, what kind of funny do you want? Yeah. But that's the perfect kind of funny for me.
1: Hmm. Like the absurdist?
0: No, like, nihilistic? like yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's absurdist, but it's about the fact that we're all desperately, you know, denying the fact that we're rudderless and, and in trouble mm-hmm. yeah, as a species. Mm-hmm. So without being self-righteous, you know, how do you say like, well, this is who we are, we ought to admit it and just say, well, uh, we're we're surrendering. To not taking part in our survival. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Collectively. yeah, And there's something absurd about that, but it's not absurdism.
1: But it's good for you to be checking in with what makes you happy at this stage in your
0: life. That's right. And I'm doing the
1: same thing and I don't know whether going on tour and making records is that.
0: What do you think it is?
1: It might be going on tour and making records. I'm going to (laughs) be doing a healthy assessment of that. During my next tour, how
0: did last night go? It was great. Yeah,
1: I actually really enjoyed myself, and I, part of the enjoyment was I got to play with an old friend, Tim Young, who plays with the James Corden House Band with Reggie Watts, and he's been a friend, musical partner for 20 years also. Uh-huh. And we just play. We just he's improvising, and I'm playing my stuff, and we're just so like you know brother and sister. Yeah, and I loved that feeling. So I was like, yes, there's so much about the communal aspect of playing that i love like when i'm working on paintings i do have a painting night every wednesday where painter friends come over and we paint in my basement but and that's communal in a way because we're chatting and talking about techniques and stuff and listening to music but music can be so collaborative and bonding and beautiful when shared
0: with other musicians so
1: that is something i think i'll probably keep doing but i don't know i guess time will tell
0: well yeah, I mean, I've been experiencing like a lot of discovery on stage, which is the only thing that makes it worthwhile for me. I, I, is that you know when you know no show's the same, and I don't know like if I have a certain freedom of mind, we can really do something. And i and I lately have been sort of in my mind and sometimes out loud, just uh, untethering it from comedic expectations, you know, because i I tend to think of comedy as sort of this limited thing. Uh, in terms of people's expectations from it. Um, though there are comics that break those, and I think I do on a good night, but uh, but I do hold myself to the job. Mm-hmm. I do think there's a job to it, mm-hmm. and you don't want to go and just sort of have people go like, what was that?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> just abstract art or something. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I'm not that. I'm not really an abstract artist, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. I can be Yeah. in moments. But um, so... This is the divorce record and the single mom record. This
1: is what happens after a divorce record. Uh, this is the, the the flowering. Yes. This is the flowering and the kind of like self realization that comes after.
0: So post mushrooms, post the record.
1: <laughs> I was debating about talking about the mushrooms.
0: No, but I mean like do you find are you clear? Are you are you, do you are you carrying baggage and resentment?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> what do you expect? It's only been two and a half
0: years. I don't know. You said you're talking about mushroom. talking a big mushroom game. I, thought, I, I mean I would, uh, that was
1: five hours of peace and love. Okay. But yes, that informed the way that I, I'm thinking about things. Uh-huh. And I am trying to keep an open heart. But I was burned by my ex, so burned I, in how? Yeah, in I, I can't were... tell you.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right easy i'm not not pressing you
1: (laughs) but it was i just feel like it's going to take me some time to trust and you know engage with a partner at that level and that's okay because i you know although sometimes i feel a little bummed out or lonely or like i'm the only single person at this party now the parties are happening again Mm. um i'm like yeah it's okay like there's so much to discover about myself now at this stage and when you're a mom and a wife a lot of times you just give yourself over to the other needs of everyone around you and my aim here is to figure out like what you were saying like what makes me happy yeah i don't know independent of like a partnership for example or right you know like right. what what is my soul exactly. asking for the rest the, this next chapter yeah I don't know if it's being a painter or a musician or a poet or uh, working at the Starbucks or what.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, I think Starbucks is the last <laughs> resort.
1: <laughs> I mean, it could be great.
0: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. You I mean, might see me there Okay, on I hear your they have comedy good, stop. You have good benefits. You I mean, there, there's a plus. <laughs> I, mean, I think you might get some health coverage out of Starbucks. Yeah. But no, I, I mean, I agree. I don't know like where my capacity for trust or intimacy comes after you know, someone dies.
1: Yeah, because be- that's like life can just whap you down like so fast, and you don't know what's that's coming. That's
0: right, and I've been divorced twice, and I, I know what it's like to be burned by, by an ex, but I've also, I had a part in it. But, uh, but I definitely, you know, it doesn't take much scratching below the surface to find my anger about about how divorces go. Yeah. You know, but, but in terms of intimacy, I can, you know, I, I, I don't know how to approach that. I was not that good at it before Lynn, but I felt like that during Lynn, that there, because of her persistence, it, it, she <laughs> I, I, I was very persistent. Uh, Lynn was, you know, in terms
1: of breaking down your barriers in terms of, or I, guards I, or something, in terms
0: of everything. I mean, you know, if, if she focused on something, you know, it was going to happen.
1: Yeah. Determined that, woman.
0: That's right. So, I imagine that once I surrendered to that, to her, which I did, that that determination would eventually hammer me into some, you know, uh, uh, being uh, more able to uh, accept her or um, have love in my life. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's beautiful. I guess. And that's something you can take forward. I don't know. You can. Okay. And you owe
0: me $80 for therapy today. No, you owe me $80. <laughs> I think we're breaking even. even... <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, let's call it even.
0: It's good talking to you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Um, and I hope that people like the new record. It's so,
1: I hope they hate it.
0: No, but like, what's the title again? Because I think there's a some... think... Found Light. Found Light. And it's on what label?
1: My own label, Raven Marching Band. And
0: how many have you done on your own label? Three? I think Fourth like, one, there's the fourth one.
1: I think it's like, we mm, had three on Nonsuch uh, uh, for like, so I think it's the ninth.
0: On your own label. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it.
1: I love it, and yeah. I have a great label manager and a great team working with me. In Portland? And they're in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, my management team is my record label management, and yeah, and then I have a UK label, Bella now, Union.
0: And you say that the UK's where you you're. that's your biggest? Yes. They love you there?
1: I mean, it's all relative. I, I play to 800 people in London.
0: That's Which great. is like twice what I played what you, for. How does that here. work?
1: I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that? different cultures appreciate different styles. Slash, I got a leg up early there in terms of being on a cool label. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, I have friends that are big in Japan. I mean, it sounds like such a cliche, but I'm yeah. big in Japan, but they are. Or big in Australia, but not here. Or, you know, one person I know is big in Sweden, but nowhere else. So, I, I it's like a strange... Huh. Quirk.
0: And how do you figure that shit out? Just algorithms? Where your stuff sells? And
1: I mean, yeah, and I I think it's just been that's where things have I've had the booking agent early on, the label support, and
0: the yeah. press. And right.
1: when you get all that, then you've got the crowd, and then you just keep going back on the same circuit over and over.
0: Now, when, like when you did that record with um, with Nico Case and uh,
1: Katie Lang, yeah, yes,
0: that was well, Case
1: Lang beers in two thousand sixteen.
0: That's not that long ago. No. Like Nico, like I, I like people always want me to interview her, but I don't know her stuff that well. And I always feel like, like I'm like, I can't. I got to get into her. I got to listen to her stuff.
1: I love her. Yeah. Her lyrics. She's such an amazing lyricist, and it was a huge part of what I learned in that project is how to change and not change my writing, but just how different people can write lyrics. And it was fun because like I had this one song that I brought to them it was all done with my lyrics and my music, but. I was like, just what do you think about this? They're like, I don't know. It's cool music. But Nico's like, let me just change the words. I was like, that sounds great. She completely changed all the words except for one line. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And it's absolutely different than what I would ever have written. And I love that about that project. And like Katie, I learned so much about bravado and stage presence. Like she's such a badass on the stage. So fearless. Yeah. So pro and such um, power and facility with our vocals yeah it's just amazing to behold i actually had imposter syndrome with those two on stage because i'm not like a naturally gifted stage performer i can do it i can do the job like you were saying yeah but um it's not natural i get very nervous and like weird and they're <laughs> so smooth yeah so that was really cool and also sometimes difficult to be Feeling like I was lesser or something.
0: Yeah. Also
1: yeah. less famous than them. So
0: I'm always feeling, you, 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 you'll, yeah, you'll find that like, or I find that uh, no matter how well I'm doing, I'm, I'm always going to uh, make room to feel lesser.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's something to work on. But I think you should, you should interview Nico. Or Katie or both because they're both really interesting people and their music's really cool.
0: Well, Nico seems more available. They're more accessible to me though. I, I don't know if she's mad at me or not because it was sort of like this. I've had opportunities and I just feel like you know, but I don't. I don't know her music well enough and I haven't really put the time in. Mm-hmm. Even though I had the records, but like I said, I'm I'm, I'm barely a lyrics guy. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I just don't want to. It's usually if I don't want to interview somebody, it's just because I don't want to do a disservice. Yeah. Like I know she's great. She's great, right. and
1: she's really funny. So that would be a fun interview, I think. Well, as
0: long as she doesn't resent me already, we'll see. I'm
1: sure it will work out.
0: Someday. Again, nice talking to you. Thanks, Mark. That was me and Laura Veers. I miss Lynn Shelton. Everyone misses Lynn Shelton. We love you, Lynn. Laura's new album, Found Light, comes out next Friday, July 8th. You can pre-order it now wherever you buy your music. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll have it more together. I'll have it more together Monday. Oh my God, I'm gonna cry. No music today. I, I'm I'm not, I'm on the road. I'm in Florida. Go to wtfpod.com/tour for tour dates. I'm in Florida. I'm in Canada. I'm in Toronto. I'm losing my mind. I'm okay. Everybody's okay. You good? Okay.